welcome to another episode of the Microsoft Spotlight Podcast. Today I'm joined by my regular co-host John. John, how are you doing today, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I still haven't recovered from the um, the pre-podcast um, talk we've just had where we've tried to decipher, or you've tried to decipher today's guest's name. So, yeah. <laughs> Andrew, would you like to introduce today's guest? Right, so our today's guest is Angelica Patiswu. No. <laughs> so no. Oh, see, I, I did try. So close, you know, so close. One day I'll give it a go. One day Angelique Patsia Vu. Yes, yes, you get extra brownie points just for that. <laughs> so, yeah, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. So, yes, very long <laughs> Greek name, as I'm half Greek, half Italian. By day, I'm a change manager, a superhero at Avanat, and by evenings, if I'm not involved with the Microsoft community, I am a singer martial artist. Oh, wow. What martial arts, what, uh, martial arts do you do? I do kickboxing. Okay, cool. Do John's a mar- uh, martial artist, does a BJJ? Hey, I do presume Jiu-Jitsu. Nice, nice. I've been thinking about whether I want to transition into that because my current club is a bit far, and I have a very... Um, close by Jiu-Jitsu club, so who knows? Which club, which club is it? Sorry. Uh, so I live in Sutton in South London, um, okay. so there's a club in my area. I don't know their name, I just know they train very close by because an ex-classmate of mine now goes there, so he posts on Facebook all the time. It is a greasy bar there. Okay, yeah, no for full star. I know the... Uh, Going completely off the topic of the podcast here, but yeah, I know, I know, I know the people who run it. <laughs> we'll we'll catch up offline. We might yeah, actually have yeah. common, uh, yeah, common friends slash uh, practitioners. Awesome, yeah. Anyway, give us a <laughs> off topic completely, but give us a bit of a background, kind of what you do at Avenard, and yeah, and then we will go from there. Sure. So I work for Avanet as a change manager in what they call the OCM advisory practice, which stands for organizational change management for the UK and Ireland team. So what that means in practice is I'm one of those non-technical yet a little bit functional superheroes that go in to help businesses and clients navigate a world of continuous change, whether it's technology, whether it's people, processes, you name it. People like myself are here to help with that transition, translate, simplicity, and pretty much sell reassurance. We're here to help make things brighter, faster, better by always uh, personalizing the way we support our customers and uh, their own customers and making sure the transition to change is as smooth and happy as possible. So does that happen on like most projects, every project, some projects? Like when when does change management come into a project? In theory, it should come in at any point. Um, there's many people that see business application implementation fails because it doesn't. In practice, unfortunately, it doesn't all the time because of personally believe that there is some cultural and industry misconceptions about when and how change management can be involved. And practically, it's also all sorts of situations such as are we involved early on in the process? Do we get a seat at the table? Do we get to have a conversation? So it doesn't happen all the time, unfortunately, but we are trying to push for more because this is the right thing to do to do right by our customers. And is it 
I'm just really curious about the whole change, change management. Sure. Is that like a biddable, are you like a biddable resource? Is it part and parcel? Is it a a product that a, a customer would buy? It can be both. It, it depends on the project structure, the client relationship, what their needs are. Ultimately, they are services, so change management can be a service. And in a more modern workplace, it can be also a managed service. So depending on where your project and needs are, especially if the client does not have a change management function, you can go the way SA can be a managed service. Now, that aside, it's important to remember that regardless of the structure, you need change management for the project because you're focusing on the human impact and not just on the tech application, which is what people tend to miss. That's pretty awesome. So, so something for me in my job role that I just don't come across very often. So, this, this is where we. Sorry, gone. No, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say this is exactly both the gap, but also the opportunity. We have so many people speaking about tech evangelism, but where I see the the gap as well as opportunities, human evangelism. So this is why I get involved in the marks of community for human evangelism because it doesn't seem to be enough of that. Obviously, just another uh, example of that you don't have to be technical to be a woman of tech. Obviously, you work for a, a huge global Microsoft partner. Um, I don't know, obviously, they call that the Power 3 yourself, Accenture and Microsoft. Um, so it just basically proves that, you know, anyone can be a woman of tech. You don't have to do all the, the technical work, going out, can do all the configuration, that kind of stuff. You say you can do the, the more softer things obviously understanding how businesses need to change and want to change to obviously you know get the best out of their, of their systems a hundred percent and this is one of the reasons why i also want to be involved in the women in tech initiatives because there's such an imposter syndrome about what it means to be in tech or what it takes to even get into it which is such a shame because there's, I think everyone has a story to tell and they have a place in this. However, because there's this misconception around, you must be technical, AKA you need to code in 10 different languages, otherwise you're not somehow qualified. That's not okay. And also technical in its own is such a vague term. So whilst my profession doesn't mean to perform like a technical architect, that does not mean we don't have functional knowledge. It actually, it makes us better change managers by having certain functional knowledge, or at least I believe so, because that makes us hybrid enough to be able to have the right understanding to translate the business and the technical vision into a narrative that is powerful enough to transition into that human impact. So we need those skills. It's just that we don't need them to the extent that an architect, for example, would have. So let's go back right to the beginning and understand, you know, how you got into the job role that you're doing. So, you know, at school, you know, was your interest in IT? What did you want to, you know, achieve? You now, what was your dream, dream job as a child? <laughs> it's a bit of a roller coaster story. So um let me know when I need to stop because it's gonna be a long one. So when I was in school, I was actually interested in two very different professions, neither of which I followed. The first one was I wanted to be a fashion designer. So I love drawing and designing and I'm, I'm pretty good at it. However, when I asked my parents to pay for private school in Milan, guess what they said? And it was not yes. <laughs> so that didn't work out. The other one is I wanted to be a surgeon, but turns out my ability to handle blood was just in horror movies. <laughs> so that wasn't gonna work out either. 
So putting that aside, um, because I was always a maths geek and I really loved having, and even a physics geek, and I loved having tools where I could interpret the world, I was fascinated by the world of economics. So academically speaking, I'm actually an economist. So I did a four-year bachelor in Greece in economics and corporate finance, and then I came to London to do a master's in pure economics as well with a focus on developing countries. So for those amount of years, a good five years, I thought I was going to work in an NGO, maybe the UN, maybe the World Bank, and somehow save the world. (laughs) That was the dream back then. However, it's not an easy life to get into, and it takes a lot of sacrifice because you become a bit of a nomad, which I wasn't ready to commit to. So I thought, okay, I know I have an interest in interpreting the world. I kind of gathered an interest in IT because part of my master's, we had to do statistical modeling and we had to use coding for that. So I got exposed to um, languages such as um, R, which was very interesting because I had to teach myself, turns out, to do my thesis. But that gathered an, uh, an interest in IT without realizing it. And because I didn't want to follow the path of 99% of my cause, which is work for a bank, become an analyst or a trader, you know, make tons of money out of it. I went, dramatic pause, I went into online gambling in marketing. So what that meant in practice with digital marketing strategy and online gambling, I was very early exposed to CRM systems, something I wasn't even aware of. So I went into operations, configuring CRM systems and setting up gambling promotions for marketing strategies, which to me was something totally unknown, but quite fascinating because I was always um, interested in behavioral psychology and game theory. So for me, I was able to see at its purest of forms how people behave under the unknown, under risk. I was able to almost experiment with it in something that no other economist could do in real time. So it was quite fascinating. I was exposed to IT straight away without even pursuing it and indirectly started developing all this interest and this passion ultimately for CRM systems, initially within house with all sorts of solutions. And then as I got further into my career in marketing with the big platforms, I've worked with Salesforce, Adobe, obviously dynamics later on and I got to see it all the good the bad and the ugly and I was so passionate being on the client side that eventually I thought you know enough with bad implementations I'm actually going to work on how to make things better how do you transition to a better life and this is where change management came to me so it was much later in my career that I took my passion for CRM systems my marketing and ops background and I turned it into change management so the my path is so diverse and I'm hoping to inspire other people to see there's no linear path that you need to take to find your purpose, to find something that is fulfilling and also keep an open mind that keeps life interesting. But let's be honest, like there's some people that find their calling early on and stay in the same job for 30 years and good for them. We don't all have to be the same to enjoy our careers and our lives and that's perfectly okay. Yeah, definitely. It's, I think, it's something that I think I've been lucky to kind of do from 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 young age is get straight into basically my career path from from day one, from from leaving college and stuff. 
So maybe a bit of a head start in 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 terms of that sense of things, I guess. But yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm actually now 20 years into being in IT. Started at 17, now 37. Just, yeah. It's a mad stat, isn't it? I know. <laughs> You've been in IT. Think, for thinking back from where I, where, where I began doing the IT apprenticeship to you know where I'm currently today, it's, it's a long time, and obviously a long time is still ahead of me of more working years. So yeah, it's nothing worth thinking about, really. Is it? <laughs> So you've gone to Avanard now, and obviously Avanard has like quite a big um, uh, focus on people, evangelists, people talking in the community and stuff like that. Where did your first kind of love for the Microsoft community? How did you kind of get into it? What was the the thing that made you go, "Cool, I like this. I want to I want to do a bit more." So this is an interesting story that started even before my journey with Avanade. It's actually through the community that I got to know Avanade and its culture to the point where I pursued that. So it started actually when I was still at my previous role and I just happened to have a colleague who was part of this network of people slash friends that were part of the Microsoft community. At the time, I really didn't know what the community even stood for, what it involved. However, uh, you know, through the lockdowns and pandemic, you want to get out there, connect with new people. So I thought, great, you know, let's meet new set of people, see where it goes. And as I started connecting with them, I noticed very soon that there was this discreet passion about what they did, this spark that I never found before. And it really intrigued me. I thought, there's all these people. Yes, they're friends. Yes, you know, they they have um, good fun and whatnot. But everyone is passionate about a single thing around this. And it wasn't until I attended my first South Coast Summit conference last year that I saw it in person. And it just captivated me. I know it might sound cheesy, but it really did. And the way people were speaking of the way they were interacting was something sort of amazing um so it kind of inspired me to the point where i eventually caught the bug the bug for public speaking and even though i was terribly scared and had all this imposter syndrome flooding in i eventually said nope there's a story here and uh i went from having absolutely no experience in the community within the last gosh since may really having done, I don't know, 15 plus activities between public speaking, different kind of other shows or interactions with MVPs, hackathons, you name it. And I've loved every bit of it. So in a way, I think I've found my tribe. Nice. Cool. So what what um, events have you spoke at um, in the last, God, that's it, not four <laughs> months. <laughs> 15 events okay, in four months. So Didn't know there was 15 events in four months. Uh, well, it's a mixture. It's not just public speaking. As I said, I do other activities as well. So my first one was a virtual one. It's the virtual um, M365 marathon. So that was that. a virtual one that was held early May. Then, I did that as well, yeah. Oh, were we in the same one? Oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was easing into it, right? It was virtual and, you know, it's almost like delivering a word presentation, which clearly yeah. I don't struggle with because uh, I love talking. Now, that was great. That was on a Wednesday, right? Wednesday midnight. That's fine. Then on the Friday morning, I spoke at my first in-person conference. It wasn't even a Microsoft community one. It was DevOps Days. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's an yeah. international chain of conferences. So anyway, nothing to do. 
with uh, Microsoft Community and didn't realize that it was going to be in a massive stage in Birmingham, hundreds of people, spotlight, TV crew. And I see the stage and I'm like, I did not think this through, did I? And it, there wasn't <laughs> many of us. I think there was like, I don't know, 12, 15 speakers in total. So we had massive attention. Um, but so anyway, freaking out minutes before, then, you know, I get hooked up, mic everything. I get on stage and as soon as um, I'm presented, something changes in me and I go from extremely terrified. I just want to get out of there to this is it. This is exactly where I belong. And I loved every bit of it. And since then, there's this weird confidence that I still cannot explain that I'm thoroughly enjoying sharing um, my story, my thoughts and what human evangelism really stands for and what change management can do beyond um, the traditional kind of um, constraints of my job. And for example, people, you know, don't expect me to go to technical conference. I, I actually focus mainly on business applications. Yes, there is a change management element to it, but for me, it's more about how do you design applications? How do you champion user experience? How do you achieve a hybrid collaborations with technical teams? So I don't necessarily have to be defined by my role. It's more about what I'm passionate and want to advocate for. And, you know, since then, what other events we've had? I've had two sessions at Scottish Summit, which was really, really fun. What was I that as well? We didn't meet. But... I'm telling you, John, and I don't know where you've been hiding. I promise. I usually. I was uh... <laughs> oh, there you go. Also, you said he was at South Coast Summit. You didn't come to our session about women in tech. Could I was going to say, could we have been at the same time? Who knows? Because I had ah. a couple. So, anyway, so there's that. I speak quite often at the Dynamic 365 and Part Platform uh, user group. So I spoke at the one in London, Microsoft Paddington in June. I spoke to Cambridge, Cambridge last week. I did the Tech Fair for the Part Platform School last week. Um, I did the Part Platform Summit in Oslo with Microsoft. Um, yeah, there's been a few. It's a lot, yeah. You're getting through <laughs> <them> quickly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And oh, that's awesome. All sorts of hackathons, so, you know, um, anything I can get my hands on, really. I think there's a story to tell. Whenever I go to conference, like, change management, what? Wait, what are you again? <laughs> and um, and yet they find this the session interesting, and I see so many people come to me with questions that I wasn't expecting. I thought people might not find it as appealing because it's not a technical session. But turns out um, there is interest, and I'm really glad to see that it has an impact. Cool. You so generally do you find that um, sessions that you know you don't think are going to be that interesting to people, that people do turn up. I say I did a session many moons ago about Office Pro Plus, and the amount of people I had in the room for that session, I was like, you know, I didn't expect this at all. <laughs> that many, this many people to be interested in an Office and how to deploy it. You know, I was, I was kind of like, kind of talk, talk about that, but yeah, I mean. You know, people like going to different sessions. You know, that session, you know, has a good title, uh, good obviously description Absolutely. of what's going to be spoke about. Then that kind of draws people in, and obviously, if they, if they come in because they're interested. A hundred percent agree. Uh, I consider myself a storyteller, so when I write my abstracts and my titles, there's always puns, so people get to have a bit of fun. There's always a theme as well and fun themes as well. So one of my latest talks had a Ghostbusters theme. Uh, the user, the most recent user group one had a Hannibal Lecter and Barbie doll mashup. 
So there's things that you don't expect. So people have fun. And I think through that engaging narrative, they get to learn something in a lighter way. Because what I found with more technical sessions is you have incredibly bright people that have some really interesting things to say, but maybe the delivery is not as impactful to the point where, you know, ultimately it's really hard to keep on going through these sessions that are quite hard to absorb, regardless of how technical you are. And then you go to a session that is a bit lighter and yet you still have something to take from. And I think that breaks the mold and it keeps people interested. And that's probably part of the success. So what kind of speaker are you? And you'll get, you'll, I'll explain the question and you'll understand. Are you more of one that prepares everything really advanced, goes for it, re uh, rehearses it and stuff like that? Or are you somebody who is still editing slides half an hour, 10 minutes before <laughs> and, um, and, and kind of just winging it as, as, you, as you do it? So I'm very OCD, so I can't really do the latter. Uh, I, I think I'd probably spontaneously combust if I did. So I tend to be extremely prepared. I actually love um, creating really visual slides um, that are really cool with all sorts of animations and anything I can do to make it stand out because I think that's part of an experience. And even though I'm the first kind of person you mentioned, I would describe myself as a storyteller and putting up a little bit of a show because I think it's the delivery that makes it interesting, not just the content. So if people make it there, I want to give them something that they will truly remember in every single way. Yeah, I'm, I'm the second one, They're definitely the second one. That's okay, or there's a few of you, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, we balance it out. I went to, um, I done, a, I done a, a user group in Manchester two weeks ago, and on the Sunday I was sitting down with my wife and parents and stuff, just, oh, what are you doing this week, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking on Wednesday, my wife goes to my parents, do you know he hasn't even done his presentation, even started his presentation yet? I'm like, hey, that's all right, I'm all right, it'll be fine. And then, oh, we can do that. I've done it on the train journey on the way up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not impossible. What I found is I had my first experience doing a joint presentation. So obviously you're not just managing your own self. You're, through collaboration, you have to manage, you know, that as well. And that for me was a little bit more last minute than I would have liked. So it's an experience. It has to happen sometimes. Like for that one, I was preparing the night before and rehearsing and kind of hoping for the best. Like, are we going to cover what we said we're going to cover appropriately? And yes, it might happen, but I like not to at least aim for it because I don't want to go in there stressed. I think it's important to have a very sane and zen mental health space at that time. So if you can manage your anxiety and yeah, it comes yeah. out great, that's fine. But if not, then you have to take some measures. I managed my anxiety a couple. I managed my anxiety a couple of Budweisers at the last user group. <laughs> That, that's that the helps. problem, John. I don't drink alcohol, <laughs> so I really struggle to find something to oh, calm no. me down. And I also don't drink coffee, you know, which kind of is weird because I'm half Italian. I should be sipping it like water, but hey. <laughs> it's like when I did my big presentation to like 400 people. I mean, the night before I was absolutely, you know, on the on the on the uh, the pop, uh, and then delivered this at the the, the morning like, <laughs> keynote. But I think so, to some degree, I think you know you have them butterflies when you first go and do it 
you know that that whole build up as soon as you start you know 100%. hitting your stride then you just kind of like flow through it and yeah. it just comes so natural because in the day you know especially if you know what you're talking about you know you you like go through key. like yeah that's the key so no matter what preparation is there so for example you have you can have speaker notes right um i sometimes put them in i kind of have stopped now because Preparation helps, but also know exactly what I want to talk about and rumble on if needed. So that's what matters as well. I think if it's too rehearsed and too perfect, it stands out and it becomes dry. So that's yeah. my my um, two that's cents why, of that. That's why I like doing things last minute because I think that if I if I I put the words on the screen, I do my animations and stuff like that, but I don't practice what I'm going to say. Yeah. I just I know roughly how many slides I've got. I know roughly what time I need to be at each each bit. But then I know the content. I don't need to rehearse the content because it's in my mind. But then I like to put a lot of like humor, jokes, and stuff like that within it, and 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 stuff like that. And you can't. I, I feel like you can't rehearse that because otherwise it's it's too fake. So that's why that's why that's my reason. And plus the reason why I like to do things last minute is because. I saw on Twitter, Twitter once um, Donna Sakar done was doing oh, hers last gosh. minute. I was like, if she can do it last minute, like that's like that, then I, I then I'm I'm going to try and live up to her um, expectations. So. Yes, <laughs> Donna is something else. She she's actually one of the people that inspire me so much in the community. And every time I meet her, I try to contain my enthusiasm. It's really hard, but I try. Um, and uh, I, I think she's extremely charismatic and the way she captivates and captures the room is something I'm personally aspiring to, but I think it's going to take a while. Well, she she wants to be a fashion designer, so you might have a collab with her coming up, right? <laughs> <laughs> you never know, you them. never know. Um, you, you know the funny thing I do, right? I mean, I love drawing, but... Um, the funny thing is, if, even though I started thinking, oh, do I want to do fashion design? I quite enjoy portraits. I, I love drawing people and bringing a piece of paper, something so inanimate to life. So to me, capturing a, a, a person's um, look and stare and bring it to life, that to me is now more fun. And I tend, because I'm a bit of a geek, I tend to draw a lot of Marvel characters and bring them to life in my own spin. So that's pretty fun. Uh, but from a fashion perspective, so I like upcycling some of my clothes and I might know where, I don't know, something happened with them. So I, I bring a few different fabrics together, go to this, go to seamstress I have, and I say, okay, this is how I imagine it. Can you put it together? So she brings to life essentially designs. So in a way I do it, but uh, I don't have the skills to put the whole thing together myself. There, there. I'll, I'll, I'll put a word in for you and we'll get a collab going with Donna. Oh, with Donna. Okay. <laughs> Why not? I I'm think speaking to her next week, so I can, I can have a chat then. <laughs> I was going to say, um, we had a lovely opportunity at Scotty Summit with the hackathon. So we were running an accessibility hackathon. And um, my team and I were incredibly honored to win it because um, ultimately she said, you know what, I'm, we're going to, we're putting it straight into our backlog. Like this is happening. And we're going to, you know, help millions and, you know, over a billion of people with that. And that to me is a better collab than anything else. Knowing that you can actually influence <laughs> yeah. people's lives for the better. One yeah, more I remember saying that. that. I remember in the, in the, in the um, closing um, keynote. Yeah, our, our saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we good. couldn't uh, go up on stage. There was timings issues. But even knowing that uh, we made it there, that was pretty cool. 
So see at the Scottish Summit where the keynote was and there was a couple of people just pushing people into the rooms. Do you remember? Or, or did you not go down that way? It was mine and Jose's job to like make sure that everyone went into the keynote. So when people were going past exits, we were stopping people from going. Yeah. In, that was that was me. So you might have seen me then. The problem is I was delivering the last session of the day. I oh, really. <laughs> and I had people standing behind for a Q&A. So I couldn't be like, hey, no, I'm not replying to your question. Get out. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I tend to close the show in a more <laughs> in a lot of uh, conferences. I don't know. Maybe they save the best for last. <laughs> well, I'm closing it at the South Coast Summit. Apparently. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, are you closing it or are, are people also doing the keynote at the same time? I don't know. Apparently the keynote's the same time as my session. That's so what I'm you, saying. Yeah. So are you, an, are you an alternative keynote then? No, I'm the alternative keynote. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good right? Yeah, I like that. Put <laughs> that on the MVP submission form. Yeah. That's how... <laughs> That's our, that's our marketing boy there. <laughs> <laughs> Alternative keynote. I like that. I'm, I'm definitely using it. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I do career advice on the side. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have a question for you. Obviously, for we spoke it. about obviously people that inspire you, spoke about obviously your past. How do you see you making yourself like a, like a big impact on the women's tech community? What can you do to obviously help try and bring more younger women into you know speaking slots or speaking roles or basically being a part of the community what think what what could you think that you can do so there's so many things that um everyone could do what i what i focus on to begin with is sharing honestly both my journey as well as my experiences in a way that i can role model vulnerability and i think why this is important to which ultimately is meant to inspire women and people getting into tech generally is because, first of all, imposter syndrome, right? People think you have to be this perfect technical person to fit in, which is not true. And also technical is such a vague term that I'm trying to um, myth bust around. Um, but at the same time, I want to inspire women to see that you can have a diverse path and still be in tech. The traditional, um, concepts around being technical or not technical also don't apply anymore. There's such nuances that you can have your own fluid journey within it. So I also want to inspire people to find their own place and what fulfills them within IT rather than thinking they have to be a, a programmer or an architect to make it. And also what I'm trying to do as well is help with regards to um, mental health, for example, conversations, because this is something as well. So it, it can be a very intense field to be in as well, which means that we are all impacted in different ways and might find it too daunting to even consider it. So discussing things like imposter syndrome and mental health and how I manage it or how I found my involvement in the Microsoft community to be a, a way to, to manage it in a more peaceful and fulfilling way, I think that's also quite powerful as well because People see the recognition um, or the achievements that you can showcase that come with it when you do all this kind of speaking or, or any of these activities. And that is true. However, there's so much more that can come out of it. And I think by showcasing that to people and giving them an alternative 
to managing maybe their own mental health or their sense of belonging, I think that's also quite powerful and hopefully will inspire people to join in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, mental health is a, a big thing for me. Um, so recently this week, um, one of my partner's oldest school friends took her own life, um, but a few personal problems. And that's not the only time that I've actually seen that. I've had a, I've had a cousin that took his own life through during through COVID, and then also my brother-in-law took his own life as well. So mental health to me is a very big thing that needs to be discussed, not just you know outside of work, but also in the workplace as well, because you know everyone does a stressful job to some degree. Just because I'm not doing the same role as yourself doesn't mean that you're not affected by mental health. And I say coming up on this podcast in a couple of episodes time going to be doing a bit of a special one for the World Mental Health Day. So it's going to be um, probably me, John, uh, Mike Hartley and Janet Robb all just talking about, you know, mental health in the workplace, what can be done, how can we, you know, identify things to obviously support it, colleagues and not just even colleagues, maybe take that and support, you know, friends and family outside of work as well. I'm really glad you have these two people over. They're both amazing people, both of which inspire me for so many different reasons. And I think they, they, they're both very open with their journey. So they're definitely going to inspire a lot of us out there. Yeah, it's going to be a very different episode compared to the <laughs> other 40 plus that we've done. So I think it's you know very important, especially for that particular day. So that's going to be released on the, the 10th of October, which is the, the World Mental Health Day, which obviously breaks our normal release cycle. But for that particular day, I'm not fussed. It's, it's important to discuss mental health because it affects everyone in different ways and I'm not saying it hasn't affected myself it has during my own time you know I said imposter syndrome is a big thing while I, I used to deliver technical sessions for you know many years I've now got imposter syndrome that I want to do it but I don't know what to do so you know I'm happy more to talk about the the softer things which is obviously women in tech mental health um, how to become a male ally more than actually delivering technical sessions 100 percent and when it comes to having allies, I definitely agree we need male allies. But I think something that we don't necessarily speak about as often is having, and bear with me, because this might sound a bit out of the box, but the right female allies as well. So what I mean by that is that I find sometimes there's a divide between people, um, so females in the community that are more or less technical, and that creates a divide of its own. So bringing everyone together in the conversation. So it's not just a gender conversation, but really having everyone from different professions coming together and supporting each other. So I find that is equally important and we don't always see it that way. We think, okay, we, we're all in this together, but are we really like, how are we practically supporting each other? Especially if we work in very different fields, but we're still part of IT. How are we inspiring each other and so forth? And that's one of the good things about this podcast. We've had over 40 different women on this podcast, all from different walks of life, um, had obviously different aspirations within their careers, and they've all basically come on, shared their stories about what they have done um, to, to get into the world of IT, but also then the things they did outside as well to get to that point. Because as I say, we've had so many different stories of how people have got into IT. No journey has been the same so far. Everyone has basically come from a different background, a different walk of life, whether that's because they're, you know, they look slightly different to everyone else or, you know, they're not the same colour as other people. Everyone has their own story. You know, I have my own story, how I got into IT. Um, but it's nice to obviously see 
all the different people that we've had on and listened to their stories. And, you know, it's one of the things that me and John enjoy the most about this podcast is basically sitting here, speaking to people like yourself, learning so much more about everyone's different journey into IT. Because so me and John from more or less day one knew exactly what we wanted to do, you know, and started down that journey. Um, but obviously there's others that, you know, didn't start in the world of IT at all later in the career because they maybe got pushed into doing SharePoint admin. That's a big thing that we've had on here. Um, and, lots of know, SharePoint admins, yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of SharePoint admins. Um, but, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it is refreshing to obviously hear everyone's story. And I, and I love it. I mean, I even go back and listen to some of the episodes myself because, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's one way of connecting with other people and understanding their approach. Because every single story that, you know, we listen to, I try and take a little bit out of that and then try and, you know, implement that into my day job because I support women in tech within Fujitsu. And then obviously then try and do it here in this podcast and as well as the community events that you know, we're running as well. Exactly, exactly. And since you mentioned supporting, it's absolutely that. One of the things that I'm quite passionate about and try to get involved in as much as possible in my previous role and currently as well is to inspire the younger generation so we're speaking about women in tech how do we get more women into tech but the reality is some of the reasons why they don't get into tech starts from the very early years where they are conditioned to think they either don't have what it takes or they have to follow a very specific path so mentoring um people that are school age, uh, younger girls, as well as doing school outreach programs. That's also very important because if you build the confidence and that passion early on, it will penetrate every part of their lives, which means that you don't think about getting women to take, you're thinking about getting girls of all ages into tech. And when you start early, it's so more powerful. I mean, I believe that, you know, organizations should kind of adopt one or two schools within their local area. And then basically, you know, send, send, you know, women in as well as men to obviously go and have these conversations. I mean, I know for my daughter's school, they actually start their GCSEs a, a, a year earlier than other schools that I've been to. Um, so she picked all her GCSEs in year eight and now in year nine, she's starting to, you know, do the work for her GCSEs. I think uh, the, the school, school, school have done that because I find they got, you know, better results from it. Go on, John. So I don't think people going to schools and saying, I'm a woman in IT, you should do it. It's going to help. It's not about that. It's about so, mentoring. No, I don't think so. I The reason why I say this is because I've done um, some, I've done some, um, I helped out with some work experience um, at my at my school, um, at my school, at my company um, <laughs> back in, um, back in August. And one of the things most people get in speaking, speaking to each other about the computer science stuff they do, the A-levels and stuff they do, I said to them, how many girls are, um, how many girls have you got that are in, that do computer science? And they said, none. I was like, but why is that? I was like, well, because we had a couple, one or two that wanted to, to do it. But the reason why they didn't is because their friends weren't doing it. They didn't. They felt like they weren't going to have the day-to-day -day social activity, which they would if they went and and done the class with their friends instead. So I I honestly think it is use 
although you could inspire someone, they're still always going to have the anxiety of not having day-to-day -day social interactions with people of the, similar, of the same sex to them. So I think what needs to be done is for the boys that are in the class to become allies. It's not, it, we need to be focusing on, on the guys and we need to be focusing on the, um, the social groups that to inspire girls to do that. Because you could say, look, there's an amazing job here, like um, this women um, that this woman's doing in, in IT. And at the end of the day, I think a girl's going to sit there and go, I still don't want to do that class because I've got no, I've got no other girls in there. I don't want to like, and I suppose that doesn't matter for like for lots of um, young girls, but it matters to the majority, like a, a huge majority of, am I going to be with my friends all day? So I think people going into schools and talking is a good thing no doubt about it but it is it's more about social groups and understand and getting people on board getting guys on board to go look it doesn't matter if you're if you haven't got no girls in in the class or you've only got one or two one or two like and, and be open and try to get other kids to be open and transparent i said to the, to the boys i went like it's your job really to go out and say to to to, to the girls that want to do um, computer science that they're not going to be alone that you're going to help that you'll be and, and encourage them basically and that's why i say look you need like a mix of males and females from an organization going in because you need that you know that physical mentorship or um, however you want to look at it that can go look well you know here's a male ally supporting another woman in tech that woman in tech is doing very well in their career but obviously you know as a, a male i'm there to obviously help and support to get more women into roles because you know i'm no better than you know any other female person that is an architect you know we all have the same skills we all you know have the same drive we all want to obviously you know, do well within our careers so it's, it's just making sure you know, obviously you say having that right balance you, you can't just send in an army of women uh, in tech into a school and then you know this is what you need to do it should be a balance and showing that you know it is a level playing field for everyone if you want to get into the world of it then you know you can go into it and then the world is always that you can go and achieve whatever you want to achieve and that's purely demonstrated by how many high level women there are in organizations and i'll, I'll pick avenard as an example we've got um, obviously pamela maynard who obviously you know is a woman from uh, from you know african jamaican descent the caribbean i'm not too exactly sure where where, where, uh, where she comes from but you know she's a big powerful black woman within a large organization within you know a massive company that travels from like you know from london over to the states and is very visible as well not just obviously within the organization that she works for but obviously on you know social media as well because i see it all the time of course of course so let me pick up on two points actually so when i mentioned school programs it's not just about let's get loads of women to speak about how fantastic Ted is and how they're doing I was referring to mentoring and that doesn't necessarily have to happen by women in tech, but what I was referring to is mentoring young girls to think differently. So speaking about how tech can enable their skills and their lives is one thing, but I'm talking more about enabling their mindset to, to think, to be more open-minded, to be more confident, to build that appetite for curiosity and build those soft and maybe appetite for digital skills that will eventually lead to a T. So you're basically building the foundations because when you pathways, evolve later that's on. What, that's what, isn't it? Pathways. If pathways you're building to success. Pathways, yeah. 
just, just like in, when I, you know, I run a, a football team, there's a pathway from the under nines all the way up to the first team. If there's a pathway there that people can see and, and, and you know, start on that journey, whether it's, you know, that it's at school and then there's a pathway into, say, my, my organisation for Jitsu, then obviously that's, you know, well, I've got my first foot in the door because that company already recognises me on that pathway. So I might potentially get a role at the end of my, you know, curricular activities and start working immediately. Obviously getting a job when you leave school is obviously quite difficult. Mm -hmm. That is a great way to think about it. And also, let's say you bring those women in IT um, that want to speak about uh, their journey. I don't think we should just be focusing on how, look at us, we're doing amazing and, you know, there's a quality. This is very important. But what about also focusing on through this path, through this career journey and through this role, I was able to focus on my own passions. This enabled me to feel fulfilled and to make a difference in my own way in terms. I think this is also something we need to showcase because success is not measured in a single way. And I think by putting this into a mold and having this very standardized measures of success, it also deters people because everyone may think about it differently. So we have to enable that diverse way of thinking and that diverse way of feeling fulfilled that you can make a difference with your own passions. You don't have to develop a new personality to be happy and successful. So we should also be looking at that. Yeah, definitely. Cool. John, John you're on mute. Yeah, sorry, we're definitely <laughs> coming to the end of this curse. now. I've, yeah, I've got, I've, yeah, we're coming to the end. I've got another appointment in, in six minutes I need to get to, but it's been a pleasure having you. Um, but last question is, what are your goals for the future? So short to medium term, I want to create and drive a team of hybrid change practitioners that are looking at developing functional skills and are able to design business applications alongside all the technical teams. So we are focusing on user experience and driving a behavior driven design from the early stages. And long term, I would love to be in product teams and actually influencing products from the inside. So that's how it looks. Awesome. So I want to say thank you for obviously you know joining us today. Um, obviously we're going to see you in a couple of weeks' time at the South Coast. Oh Summit. yes. And I, th and I think this episode is due to be released afterwards, but I might release it just you know a, a couple of days before. Early, early present. So, <laughs> so people can listen to the episode on the way to South Coast Summit. There we go. That would be lovely. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure, and obviously I will see you on the fourteenth on Saturday. 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, MSFT Spotlight and we're also on LinkedIn, the Microsoft Spotlight Podcast. And finally, we'd like to tell you a little bit about Big Titan and thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Remote migrations start here. Let MigrationWiz do the work for you. It's fast, secure and 100% SaaS, which means you can migrate at any time and from anywhere. Migrate mailboxes, documents, public folders, personal archives, or even Microsoft Teams with just a few clicks. No special training needed and no customer downtime. When the work matters, choose MigrationWiz.